And we welcome you to the Monday Morning Show on WGTD. I'm Gregory Berg. I am really happy to be sitting opposite uh, two people who do such good work in our community on behalf of the community foundations of Racine and Kenosha. We have with us today for the first time, I'm pretty sure, Liz Powell, who is president and CEO of the Racine Community Foundation. And with us as well, uh, someone who has been on the morning show before, namely Robert Schneider, who is executive director of the Kenosha Community Foundation. And today is the last day of National Community Foundation Week, uh, which was created by President H.W. Bush, George H.W. Bush, back in 1989 to celebrate the important role that community foundations play in cities across the country. And uh, so it's an opportunity for us to have uh, representatives of both the Kenosha and Racine Community Foundations here to talk about what they do and how they do it and the important role, of course, that all of us as ordinary citizens can play in uh, ensuring that their ongoing work can uh, continue to thrive. And, of course, we really want to also uh, tell the story of the huge difference that community foundations make in places like Kenosha and Racine, uh, a really big difference that is probably not sufficiently understood nor celebrated. So that is why we are here today. And Liz Powell and Robert Schneider, we welcome both of you to The Morning Show. Thank you. Thank you. Great to have you here. We are actually recording this on a very snowy morning, <laughs> and I appreciate that uh, you made your way to the studio through uh, the elements that uh, Mother Nature was, was throwing at you. I would love to hear a little bit from each of you uh, about your own sort of professional lives that have taken you to to where you are. And uh, uh, Robert Schneider, let's begin with you. Just... Uh, Sketch for our listeners professionally what you have done in your life and how that's ultimately led you to the work you've done with the Community Foundation of Kenosha. Well, I started out as a practicing attorney. I graduated from the University of Wisconsin Law School in 1967. And uh, then in 74, I went to work for the in the banking industry as a trust officer. That was kind of the thing that happened in those days, you know. Trust officers were lawyers. And so I worked for the... Uh, First National Bank, that's where I started. But I finished my career and spent most of my time in Illinois. Hmm. I worked for the McHenry State Bank for a long time. And, and I did work for the Johnson Bank. In fact, Liz and I worked together at one time at, <laughs> in Racine when I was with Johnson Bank. So when I retired from my position in the bank, uh, Joan Wilk and Neil Gatormson were looking for a new director of the Kenosha Community Foundation. So they thought that my background as an attorney and state planning and money management would fit nicely with the responsibilities of the of the community foundation directors. So they are the ones who talked me into taking the job. And I'm happy they did because it's been a very, very fulfilling job. And I've been there for 10 years and enjoyed every minute of it, really. Very good. Well, happy anniversary to you. And Thank you. Thanks again for being here today. Liz Powell, well, uh, Robert Schneider has re revealed just a little sliver <laughs> of your professional life, but uh, why don't you tell us more about where you come from and what you have done before coming to the Racine Community Foundation? Great. I was born and raised in Racine and went to school in Madison and worked after graduation. I worked at a regional brokerage firm in Milwaukee, and then uh, my husband and I moved to Racine, or I moved back, and my husband relocated to Racine and worked at Johnson Bank uh, 
as I say, in the madcap world of retirement plans. Mm. Um, and then uh, retired. I briefly retired. And that's when I really started uh, being an active community volunteer. And I joined the Racine Community Foundation Board 16 years ago and served on the board for 10 years. Um, and the last two years, I was board chair. And we were transitioning uh, between executive directors at the time. And I volunteered for two and a half months in the interim. And then I thought, oh, wow, I really like this. This is fun. <laughs> and um, I, it's almost six years since I've been um, employed by the Community Foundation. And it's been, as Bob said, a really fulfilling uh, job to have. And if you are active or passionate about your community, you couldn't work at a better place. Very good. Uh, before we dig into the the actual nuts and bolts of, of what a community foundation is and the particular way in which the Kenosha and Racine Community Foundations do their work. I'm intrigued by the fact that Robert Schneider, you are executive director, and Liz Powell, you are president and CEO. Is the difference in terminology particularly significant? Do those terms really mean different things, or do they, do they just mean you're the Big boss. Well, not the big. We're just <laughs> responsible for the day-to-day -day operations right. of the uh, of the foundation. You know, to make sure everything is in the right place, and the auditors are happy, and the donors are happy, and and uh, the board is happy. <laughs> so, so you're you're charged with keeping everybody happy as right, much, as, much exactly. as possible. Right. So the terms are relatively in yeah. interchangeable. Yes. And, and we're representatives of the of the foundation in the community. You know. Very good. So let's learn a little bit about just kind of the concept of the community foundation. Uh, let's, Liz, let's 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 start with you and 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 have you share what that means. I mean, what a community foundation is, and then we'll look more specifically at the two foundations that are represented today in this conversation. A community foundation is a public charity. And as such, we have rules and regulations we get to follow according to the IRS. But most importantly, a community foundation is, is meant to be an entity that's going to benefit the community in perpetuity. It, our community foundations are meant to be here for, for perpetuity. So there are certain parts of our funds that will never get spent because it's, they're going to be retained at the foundation to kick off interest in perpetuity to benefit the community. And by benefiting the community, we uh, provide scholarship funds. We have competitive grants processes whereby we um, award grant monies to nonprofits that provide services to people in Racine County, and we also manage uh, endowment funds for our local nonprofits. So uh, we kind of wear a lot of different hats, but the main focus is being an, in and for the community forever. Hmm. As we say, we're here forever, we're here for good. Yeah, good for good forever. Yeah. <laughs> what a, yeah. <laughs> How long have there been community foundations in existence, and what yeah, well, and did something in particular sort of trigger them yeah, into I, existence? I think at the turn of the century, you know, the last, not this last century, but the previous one. I was at both. so I, <laughs> <laughs> Nearly, but not, not quite. Right, <laughs> not, you know, most of the charity in, uh, was done by religious organizations or, or big, you know, wealthy people like the Rockefellers or whatever. And, of course— with the imposition of the infant income tax in the in well, 1915, I guess is when the income tax came in, uh, and some of these organizations began to withdraw that. The idea of having a, founda a foundation that was run for the benefit of the community became 
became uh, an interesting concept. In fact, the the community chest. Yeah, yeah, and Mm. uh, um, our foundation was founded in 1926. If you go back to the founders, there's some people on there that I suppose everybody in Kenosha who was concerned with the automobile industry knew their names. (laughs) And uh, uh, so it's been a a long process. uh, And there's about 700 community foundations now throughout the country and all of which have a similar motivation. And I, uh, when I make a speech or a talk to one of the Rotary groups or something, they always say, well, aren't you like the United Way? And I said, no, United Way is like, as Liz said, the, the United Way is, you know, they set a budget, they raise the money, and then they give it away. The community foundation, we raise, we, we have endowments, but we only give away the income so that the endowment itself is there forever, you know. So in other words, you are not, you, you are in a sense skimming off the top from the interest and so mm-hmm. the, right. The, right. The, the, the substance or the balance mm-hmm. remains at least largely untouched. And is that by law? I mean, is that how it has to be or is that just what you choose to do because it makes the most sense? It's, it's pretty much best practice for community foundations. We, all, we say at, in, at the Racine Community Foundation, we're here to protect your principal. Uh, so that 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 endowed part of each fund is always going to be there um, and not dip into it so that we are only spending the income. Right, because otherwise potentially something right. could wink out of existence. And, right. Exactly. And when somebody donates money, it is with the understanding or the, certainly with the hope that yes. this is something that's going to go on mm-hmm. uh, essentially yep. forever. Yes. Yeah, we, a, a, a sort of practical example of that is some back in 2008, I guess, we received uh, an endowment of $600,000 from a school teacher over at Bradford High School, uh, Suzanne Lefebvre, and her instruction was to maintain the principal and use the income to to help education, the arts, and, and build tolerance in the community. So every year we, get, we take 5% of whatever that principal is, and we find people who are who will meet that mission? So her print, her endowment will remain there forever, you know. So mm-hmm. and continue to throw off that income. Right, and she gave that money in in the in the certain hope, let's say that that that's mm-hmm. how that money would be used. Well, when you deal with the Kenosha Foundation, it's not only a certain hope; it's a practicality. It's it's a reality. <laughs> Very good. I'm being facetious, yeah. but I'm sure Liz would agree. Yes. Yes. Our principal responsibility is to protect the donor's mm-hmm. in- interest, you know, and do what they want to do with the fund, with the income. Let's talk for a moment about the way this typically functions. That is, how do people typically, under under what circumstances do people come to you? Uh, is it as they are making preparation for the end of life, and or, or 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 are there other circumstances under which these kind of endowments get created? There's a number of different ways. Um, at the Racine Community Foundation, our largest gifts have been bequests from estates. So to your point, when uh, individuals and families are uh, making their estate plans, oftentimes, and we don't know it at the time, they'll leave money to the Racine Community Foundation and then upon somebody's demise we're notified and we uh, with that notification we know how to use the funds Um, but there's also the theory of why wait till you're dead (laughs) (laughs) so that's uh, and so we do have uh, individual donors and and families that are 
interested in benefiting the community. Sometimes they're really interested in providing a legacy to the community because it means something to them. And they'll um, find us through professional advisors, and then we'll sit down with them and find a mutually beneficial way to meet their needs. It's, it's occurring to me now as I hear this that what you are doing is what otherwise somebody might choose to try to do themselves, uh, but I, I just can't think of anything that would be more intimidating, more more difficult, and, and probably risky, too, to try when, when somebody dies for an individual person to take that money and try to create something that goes on on from there. Explain what the advantages are uh, for turning over that that kind of money and that kind of a project uh, to something like the Racine Community Foundation or Kenosha Community Foundation, besides the fact that you end up, in a sense, doing all the work. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but it's 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 great work to do. Sure. The benefit is is that, like I said before, we're a public charity, so for um, living donors, they get a and if they qualify, they can get a tax deduction. But it's that's what we're set up to do. We're set up to uh, we know the community, we know how to um, how to navigate the community. We know um, if somebody says, well, they're interested in um, at-risk youth, we know which organizations in the community benefit at-risk youth, and we can direct them in, in, to those different organizations. That's what we're set up to do. Um, our portfolio is professionally managed, so we've got that going for us is that we, as we say, we don't have somebody with a Lotus 1-2-3 spreadsheet saying <laughs> this is where we're but we do have a professional investment advisor, advisors working with the foundation, so we've got that aspect, and then we've got the community knowledge aspect, um, and I think it's a really happy marriage for people who are very, very interested in benefiting the community. Hmm. Yeah, I, yeah, we've been using this word public charity, and there is a difference, you know, uh, the Gates Foundation is not a public charity. It's a private foundation funded basically by one or two people, uh, where the community foundation is a public charity, which is funded by the general of the public. You know, so it's sort of like the American Heart Association or whatever. So we have a more, uh, you know, we have larger limits in terms of what people can contribute and deduct from their taxes, and uh, we're there for, uh, you know, we're not on, we're controlled by a board that represents the community. So, so, do you is this a situation where somebody can? We've already talked about the example where somebody leaves a certain amount of money, uh, and I would assume a considerable amount of money, with the expressed purpose of creating a fund to underwrite chamber music, as yeah, is yeah. the case in Racine, uh, or or something else, versus somebody who has money that, in a sort of a vaguer sense, they want used for good. Uh, do those kind of contributions also come in, and what happens to something like that that is not necessarily specifically earmarked by uh, the contributor? Well, uh, no, we if there if there's no specific donate, you know, then we use them to support the foundation. Generally, sometimes they're just contributions that people make to the community foundation to cover our administrative expense. But most of them have a direct. Yeah, you know, there's a reason. I mean, we just got a new scholarship to honor the legacy of some young man who committed suicide, and they're holding a big fundraiser, you know, at, at, to raise money to create this scholarship. And, you know, so there are activities like that that really help us. Well, one of the, our one of the most 
visible one is the Mahone Fund. You know, they just oh, yes. they just celebrated the, the naming the arboretum here after the Arthur Mahone, the, the father. Yeah, uh, but you know, a lot of people don't really understand that. The community foundation is the umbrella of the Mahone Fund. You know, you're really you're really uh, giving that money to the community fund and, and their advisory board, uh, which includes the president of the college here. Uh, you know, their activity is to raise money for that endowment. I mean, they started that endowment with gifts that came when Mary Lou Mahone died. They were gifts that came from the funeral home. Now it's well over a million dollars, all of which was, you know, made through activities of the family mm-hmm. in raising money, you know. So it, we get it in different ways. But right. that's a... I'm so glad you said that because so so that means it's not just when a wealthy or fairly wealthy person passes away and this lump sum is given to you, which you carefully take care of. There are also instances in which that principle from which the interest springs, that can also grow over time if oh, there yeah. are still people yeah. interested in, in that. Making and contributions, to... yeah. Mm-hmm. Generally speaking, is that a possibility for anything? I mean, any kind of uh, fund that you have that is specifically earmarked from a person, can anybody contribute to that, generally speaking? Absolutely. Uh, we have uh, we have a scholarship fund that was just started for J.I. Case High School, and we get all sorts of contributions from different um, alumni, different, different classes that want to benefit um, a scholarship. That also happens. We have um, donors that make donations to certain funds uh, in, in the word I'm looking for, um, in honor of yeah, in a, a birthday or an anniversary or, or something a like memorial that. Memorial. Yeah. So th- there's a number of different ways people can give, and when we get an unrestricted gift, we we have a, what we call the general fund, and that supports yes. part of our operations, but it's also a big part of our competitive grants process. A portion of that fund we we use for our competitive grants. Hmm. For those of you just joining us, we are talking about the great work and the immense good that is done by the Racine Community Foundation and the Kenosha Community Foundation. With us today, Liz Powell, a president and CEO of the Racine Community Foundation, and Robert Schneider, executive director of the Kenosha Community Foundation. And I just have to add parenthetically, as someone who lives in Racine but works in Kenosha, uh, and that's been my situation for many, many years. I'm, it's always a great day when we have somebody from Kenosha and somebody from Racine <laughs> amicably at the table talking <laughs> together. Uh, it's actually not like it was 30 or 40 years ago. And if, I think there, were, there was a lot of tension between the two cities. And it's, it's, I think we've, generally speaking at least, uh, awoken to uh, how much better it is to cooperate and understand each other and support each other. So yeah. this is just one more example of it. Example of that is when I was working for Johnson Bank, the head of the employee benefit there left, Charlie Rossella, they needed somebody to manage the that for, and I had some experience in that, so I was kind of made the temporary, you know. And they said, "Well, you'll be all right. You you lived and grew up in Kenosha. You know all about Racine." I said, "No, I never went there." <laughs> <laughs> for a, I lived for a football game at Harlick High School or Park High School. We just we just never went there, you know. Right. And, uh, you'd you'd think they were a hundred miles. Yeah, apart right. Once upon a time. <laughs> yeah, and and at just the time I've lived here, it's been really gratifying to. I think, see that chasm beginning to close. Yeah, I think so, and I think a lot of it is is helped by the some of the teachers here and at Parkside and that who have, mm-hmm. you know, live in Racine and work in Kenosha. And they understand that this is a regional thing; it's not a 
you know, it's not a parochial thing. Right, right. Liz Powell, you were just mentioning competitive, uh, something about competitive grants. Right. And uh, uh, does the Kenosha Foundation have such a yeah, thing well, as yeah. well? Yeah. Right. Let's let's hear from both of you about how that process tends to work. What what are we talking about with competitive grants? Well, uh, we have a grants committee, and then we uh, uh, we have two periods during the year in which. Nonprofits. It has to be a 5013C corporation. In other words, it has to be a nonprofit. Individuals, other than through scholarships, can't get can't get uh, grant money from a community foundation. So, uh, we advertise that we have these funds available through our unrestricted grants, uh, and uh, we usually set some kind of a program that we're looking for. And then there's usually a month or month and a half that people can submit to like the Literacy Council or the Kenosha Achievement Center or people like that will submit grant applications for programming. And then our, and our grants committee will review that and uh, either, you know, dismiss it or grant it or, or give partial or whatever they can do. And then they refer that to our board, which and then, uh, then the board approves the final grant and then we pay it out to the, the organization. So it's a competitive process and, uh, you know, uh, we usually get the usual suspects, I mean, <laughs> but uh, basically each one, every time they apply, is reviewed by our committee, which which includes people in the community other than just board members of the foundation. Hmm. Ms. Powell, does that sound like the way it works in Racine as well? Ours is slightly different. We saw an increase in volume of, of um, applications, and we used to have a quarterly deadline and quarterly process and in 2017 we switched to a letter of intent process so we ask anybody who is looking for money um, like say for example for 2020 a letter of intent needs to be submitted to the foundation by january 31st and we get between 100 and 110 letters of intent wow we do and we uh the staff with uh, with some volunteers and board members, we go through those letters of intent, and we generally get them down to about uh, 80 to 87 different applicants, and then we slot them into one of three grant cycles. And then the process is pretty similar to, to Bob's, is that uh, the organization submits the application. We've got about 25 uh, volunteers on our grants committee and they will go out and, and research the grant whether it's by phone or in person and then come back with a funding recommendation and um, sadly there's typically not enough money to fund no. everything that's been asked for so it can be um, a very robust discussion about um, funding levels and then once that's agreed upon then that goes to our board for approval. I'd be really curious to know within the context of those robust discussions as you characterize them what kinds of things are typically weighed uh i mean what what ultimately will make the difference in terms of a, a given organization being well, granted the funds that they are requesting versus being turned out yeah the last few years what we've been doing is doing an online needs assessment throughout the community in fact it's in in process now uh, if you go on our website you can link to that uh, needs survey, and then that, based upon what we get here from the community, uh, uh, you know, like like last year, they we took it obviously one of the principal uh, problems was the uh, opiate addiction and those kinds of things, and so that kind of sets a pattern for the community foundation. It, 
and uh, we we try to isolate maybe three or four of the top needs of the community and then focus on that in terms of the grants to the organizations that are involved in that. Like, you know, last year we gave quite a bit of money to the Hope Council because they're an addiction Mm. interventionist so uh you know we that was our number one need so they got they got the number one priority <laughs> right yeah makes sense how about liz uh liz powell for the racine community foundation you were the one who used the term robust uh conversations <laughs> or discussion well we take a number of different things into consideration number of people served how long has the entity or program been in existence um Sometimes it's our experience of having worked with them in the past and if they're responsive to uh, requests for documentation and things of that nature. Um, and then it's just really looking at our resources and how this group and then ultimately the board thinks it's going to be used the best. Now, we do have some funds that um, you mentioned, the chamber music. So, I mean, there's some grant applications that have funds that correlate directly to them and then there's others that don't so then mm. that's where it really gets dicey is when we have our unrestricted money and figuring out how we're going to use that right and you just touched on a matter which i think is probably a little complicated which is uh it's one thing when you are giving money to uh, an entity with a very high reputation have been around a long time like the hope council or the uh um, um uh, jim Schatzman's agency i oh. can't think of it uh RBM, uh, yes. Receive Vocational Ministries. Vocational Ministries. Mm -hmm. uh, so with, with a proven track record, right. a legacy of, of doing great work that nobody disputes versus maybe some other well-meaning organization that's just getting off the ground and uh, not, not really with an engine purring yet. <laughs> and, uh, and I suppose it's, it's really difficult for an entity like the Racine Community Foundation or Kenosha Community Foundation to know what is the right moment mm -hmm. to throw support behind something like that well while, while we would like every grant to work out we know they're not always going to and when i first joined the grants committee the mantra was we're not going to keep funding the same entities year after year but in reality that's what we do because there aren't that many funding sources available um, so, and it's been a while since there's really been a new uh, nonprofit that's come to us. I mean, we might get one or two a year, but it's not. I think there's so many, and they're doing such good work. It's hard for somebody new to find a niche, so to speak, mm. um, to come in and say, "Oh, well, we're going to do this because nobody else in the community is addressing this need." Right. Um, so it happens, and we are somewhat of a risk taker, um, but that's not that's not really in our wheelhouse because we have so many other proven organizations that we that we support that it would be hard to take money away from them. Right. What about the matter of spreading a certain amount of money thin over a wide swath versus giving more money to particular causes or particular organizations and in, in the hope of having sort of more potent impact? Is that a difficult matter to well that's yes. a that's an issue we we're wrestling with right now in our foundation because we don't we, you know we're not a huge foundation and uh uh our grants are you know basically limited to the 7500 to 10,000 dollar area well you know some of these major nonprofits to give them 7500 dollars isn't you know it's not an issue for you know uh so we try to find organizations that you know we can help get started and uh, maybe give them a grant and and you know we expect that 
it, it's it, it, some of them are going to fail, you know. But uh, I think you know that's a, that's a, a, a kind of a debate we're having right now through our grants committee. Should we just you know give less grants that more money, or should we continue to spread it out over the community? And I, I'm not sure we've I'm sure I'm not sure we've reconciled that debate yet. Sure. Maybe you never will. I don't right. know. It's difficult. <laughs> it's very difficult. It's an ongoing discussion right. with us too, and. One of the questions that most of our grant researchers ask is, "What happens if you get no or partial funding?" Yeah, and uh, sometimes that will help weigh the decisions because if we have an, a group that'll say, "Well, if we don't get the money, we're going to do it anyway. We'll just do it on a smaller scale," that that sometimes weighs into the decision making. It's mm. it's it's hard because we're all nice people and we don't like to say no, <laughs> no <laughs> right? I mean, right, we, we yeah. don't want to say no, but yet there, there's the reality of resources versus requests. Absolutely. Yeah, and we and I think we're, we we tend to favor organizations that have large, you know, have a big volunteer, you know, like the Literacy Council. You know, mm. A lot of them, have, it's a volunteer issue, you know, so uh, they need operating funds and, uh, you know, but they don't have a huge staff and, uh, so we can help them, you know, and that's something that, you know, just the immigration thing and situation that, you know, that's something that shows up on our needs assessment that these people need to know how to, to uh, con you know, communicate. And, and uh, that's, so we, we've been very helpful, I think, to them mm -hmm. and will continue to be. Mm -hmm. We're speaking with uh, uh, Robert Schneider, uh, Executive Director of the Kenosha Community Foundation, and Liz Powell the president and CEO of the Racine Community Foundation. Uh, today is the uh, last day of National Community Foundation Week, which is a, uh, a period, seven-day period set aside every year to celebrate the uh, important work that is done by community foundations uh, across the country. Um, and it looks like since this was created in 1989, this is a an anniversary year for the <laughs> National Community Foundation. I never thought of that, but yeah. I guess it is. There it is. So you didn't didn't bring a cake with you. No, right? no. Oh, dear. Well, that's an oversight. We'll have to, we'll have, to have, fire, we'll have, to have fireworks. There you go. There you go. So, uh, Liz Powell, I think you mentioned early on as you were first talking about the Racine Community Foundation that – uh, there are a plethora of rules and regulations which uh, which you are responsible for for following. I think it would be really interesting, uh, maybe without getting too terribly technical about it, but it would be interesting to kind of get at least a rough idea of just what you're talking about there. I mean, and is it a kind of a tangled mess of regulations <laughs> you have to make sense of, or is it, or or are these regulations that by and large make sense and in a sense help you do what you do even better? I think they make sense. Uh, like Bob mentioned, we can't make a grant to an individual. We have to make a grant to a 501c3 organization. Um, well, and there's reporting requirements. Requirements yeah. we have to file an informational tax return called a Form 990 every year with the IRS. Um, we have to have an audit. I mean, it's pretty basic things, but it, it's it's. I think for a donor, it helps them to know that we have the 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 audit requirement we have to file the informational return with the with the IRS and then there's just there's more like kind of nitpicky things as far as operating the funds is concerned but I think those are the big the yeah big I, the uh, rules the council on foundations which I guess is a I guess a trade association but mm -hmm. they they you know they work with all types of foundations including community foundations and they have a set of protocols on how to operate your 
and they the act, national standards, the national standards, and mm-hmm. they actually audit you, or they come and visit you, and and uh, uh, and, may, and you have to you know prove that you're operating within their their protocol. It's basically best practices but, yeah, for, the best for community pra- foundations, and it's a peer-led or a peer review type of of um, certification and it it's pretty strenuous i yeah, mean it's, it's it, they get into a lot they get i would say they get into the weeds <laughs> but yeah. sometimes that's good it just as far as um policies procedures what kind of like what kinds of forms do we have our volunteers sign whistleblower forms um, discrimination policies right and... but just those real i think they're pretty basic but it's ensuring that we adhere to those types of standards and those types of policies and procedures. And if they say yes, then you can put a little stamp on your stationery mm. <laughs> that says you've been certified by the Council on Foundations. So and it's a very small stamp, but but it does mean a lot. Yeah, I was just going to say, well, and I should think that the matter of reputation and integrity is, mm-hmm. is, is of supreme importance. I mean, yeah. that's one reason why uh, someone would be inclined to entrust thousands and thousands of dollars exactly. to. Yeah, absolutely. To your, uh, right. Uh, I mean, if 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 this is a community foundation that was not adhering to the rules or kind of doing things in sloppy or self-serving fashion, uh, people would not trust you, and people mm-hmm. wouldn't trust you with their money. No, in a sense. that's right. That's right. What is the connection between the work that each of you have done professionally with? I mean, I think you touched on this, but I want to understand better uh, the, the work that you've done, for instance, at Johnson Bank. How does that fold into the work that you're doing now? Is it some of the same functions that that uh, some of the rest of us don't know too much about? I think for me, what, what, what helped in the transition between my job at Johnson Bank and the foundation is that I had a really strong background in financial services, so I could understand the investment part of what the foundation does and how the portfolio is invested, that that wasn't something foreign to me. And oftentimes, I think people in nonprofits don't have that background, so that was of extreme benefit for me, is to have that um, strong financial services background. And at one point in time, when I worked for the regional brokerage firm, I had my broker's license. So I went through the, the testing process to just for, for knowledge. So it was helpful. Well, I think you're touching on something I don't think we've yet t- talked about, which is that uh, when people give you money, you're not just putting it in a drawer or under the mattress, <laughs> no. but, uh, but you are trying to take that money and, and grow, grow it, it through yes. investment. Right. So are there regulations that that guide you in that respect? Well, there's a, the prudent man standards, I guess, uh, for investments that the state, you know, they set some rules about how you should diversify your in, your investment portfolio and, and limit risk and, you know, but also uh, provide growth in the portfolio. So we've been very fortunate. We've uh, you know, we've used some Vanguard funds, basically, which are are indexed, and the index fund has worked out very well for us. And we're not as big as Racine, so we we're we're a little, we're, you know, we we can pretty much concentrate our investments in in within Vanguard, and and uh, they've got nice. I mean, we're you know we're we're fifteen and a half percent return for this year so far. So unless the world collapses between now and <laughs> December 31st, <laughs> we'll have a nice return. But there, uh, you know, there have been years like in 2008 when the market collapsed, where we, you know, we actually lost money, but we regained that. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it's, uh, 
you know, it's just, and that was part of my job as an, a trust officer was to manage assets for people and work with our investment people to explain uh, their situation and to do their tax planning and to do their estate planning. And so that that was a big plus for me when I went to work for the foundation because those are a lot of the questions that people ask, you know. Well, we have an investment policy that our investment committee adheres right. to, and that's approved by the board, but it's there so that to ensure that we don't get an investment committee chair who said, I, by way of example, I think gold is great, and we're going <laughs> to, right? And so, I mean, it, it, it ensures that we adhere to a certain asset allocation and then the various yes. investments underneath those asset allocations. It's it's really to provide continuity and just make sure that it's a, it's pretty consistent. Right. So you're going for solidity rather than necessarily spectacular growth. Right. I mean, no. you, right. You... Our allocation model basically is 60% in equities and 40% in fixed income. And we, we try to, we, we don't look to make big home runs. You know, we mm-hmm. just want to be consistent. Right. It's a very different way of investing because it's, it's for the, it's for perpetuity. It's yeah, not, it's, forever, like, it, it's not saying, oh, we want to be the best performer in the no. portfolio for the next two or three years that's not that's not how we look right, at it. right because chances are in four years it'll be exactly the opposite <laughs> right. and then you're in trouble right. so, yeah yeah um, in the work that you do is there ever uh, kind of thorny controversies that have to be confronted in terms of what a given group does and who a given group is working for or uh or or does do, do those issues not come up very often i mean maybe i mean are you ever dealing for instance with groups that have religious affiliation that might or might not be counter to certain core yeah, principles okay. of the foundation does that not come up yeah well we have a policy we don't basically make grants to organizations that require their uh, the people they serve to adhere to a certain religious doctrine or, mm. you know, we just don't do that. I mean, uh, uh, and that's just, and that's spelled that, out. That's a and, policy. Okay. It's, it's right in our, it's on our website, uh, you know, that grants, you know, from religious organizations. I mean, we do help some organizations that are, but I think we find a kind of the rule that the United Way has is that, uh, if the, if the participants or the people who are are required to do a certain religious study or to belong to a certain faith, then we don't we, we don't make grants to that for mm-hmm. that. Is that your policy as well in Racine? It's it's not an overt policy, but it's more administrative administrative procedure. And thankfully, in my tenure, we haven't had controversy. No. Um, so I consider myself lucky. But I, I mean, we we serve the entire community. We serve all of Racine County. And there's a lot of different kinds of people in Racine County. And I think that's something that we have to keep um, in the forefront when we're looking at, sorry, funding various organizations. Yeah, I think, you know, in my 10 years with the foundation, I would probably count them on the fingers of both hands. But, you know, people do, you know, why didn't we get a grant? Well, we don't really explain, you know, know, I'm not getting into a debate with you as to why. You know, we ran out of money. That's what happened. Or why didn't my kid get that scholarship? I don't know. You know, the scholarship committee makes those decisions, and we don't discuss that. You know, I mean, otherwise you could go on endlessly debating with people as to why you didn't do something for, uh, you know, a scholarship 
or a particular organization, I mean, those, those conversations don't lead to much consensus. <laughs> right, I'm sure. And I suppose it's really important to say, too, that you're talking about groups of people right. that collectively make many of these mm-hmm. choices and decisions, and, yes. and they're decisions that are not made lightly. And I suspect that you appreciate having a wide swath of the community represented on your we boards, do. Right. for instance. Yeah, right. So, you know... We don't, Liz and I don't make the decisions as no. who gets money. No. <laughs> we have committees that do that. So we don't, don't tell them that, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, we do. Yeah. Um, let's finish by talking about what you would want people out in the community to consider who m- might potentially be in a position to make gifts to I don't know. Do we call them gifts? Yeah, to the foundation. Exactly. Okay. They are. Um, but the the kinds of things that you you hope people in that situation might kind of think about and uh, ways in which it might really make sense for them to take at least some of their estate and direct it towards uh, your community foundation. Uh, what are the ways in which you want people to kind of think about that possibility? Well, I think the community foundation is unique because we keep saying it's here for perpetuity. But that, I think, is, to me, the biggest selling point is for individuals or even companies that want to have a legacy in a community. The Community Foundation is the by far the best vehicle for that. And we've talked about the endowed aspect of it. And so it's the legacy, and then if there's a certain, and, and then benefiting the community. And it could be with unrestricted money, it could be that they want to start a fund, let's say, to benefit the zoo. Uh, but there's so many different opportunities through the Community Foundation to benefit the community in, oppor- in perpetuity that it's just it is one of the it's just a great vehicle for for somebody who is philanthropic and loves the community. Hmm. Yeah, I think I think uh, you know when you know we had a recent endowment that was set up by a you know the father of the family, I guess you'd say. And, you know, the concern was, you know, when I go, will my my family continue to support those organizations that I supported during my lifetime? Mm. And so by setting up an endowment and naming those beneficiaries, that, you know, he was happy with that. You know, that that worked out fine. He he knew that, uh, obviously, those, those things that he had interest in we're going to continue to benefit from his legacy, you know. So I think that's an important part of, of what we do and one of the, you know, and rather than having to create some private foundation for that, it, it, the community foundation works very well. You know? right. It's well, very efficient. It's very efficient. It is. It's right. an extremely efficient way to, to be philanthropic. Well, and, and, it's, and it's, there's certainty Wrapped yes. up right. in it, yes. uh, as opposed mm-hmm. to the uncertainty of leaving it to, right. in a sense, amateurs, yeah. uh, maybe even well-meaning amateurs who might not necessarily know how to make right. something really happen. Yeah. Um, and I'm thinking, too, that uh, if somebody is interested in legacy, I mean, this kind of legacy is so much more meaningful than just uh, having a statue someplace with a, right. with right. a little nameplate that kind of... Mm-hmm. Uh, gets rusty over time, and, and, <laughs> and in a sense doesn't do much of any good except maybe providing a little shade. But, but I mean, this is about uh, good work in the community that means something to you mm-hmm. going on long after you're, you're, you're gone. Uh, Robert Schneider, I want to give you just a second to mention something that we've touched on briefly and which I see on your website 
Hashtag What Kenosha Needs 2019. This is that's our uh, survey, yeah. right? And just explain the importance of this. Well, I think there are eight questions there, and uh, my assistant Tom there <laughs> did it. Uh, and what we're trying to do there is to get the community's input as to what they think are the important issues that are facing them d- during the next year, facing the nonprofit or the you know, the social issues that are most important to them that we can address. So, so. it's just anybody who lives in Kenosha yeah, can fill we, out this survey. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, we, we we encourage them to do that because I think la- the last time we did this, we got maybe 300 responses, which I think is a pretty good number when you think it's, you know, that people actually took the time to fill out the survey and, and uh, you, you know, gave us some input as to wh- what they thought was important. Very good. So this is uh, on your website, which is KenoshaFoundation.org. Org. Right. And then, uh, Liz Powell, what about the Racine Community Foundation? Uh, do you have a website as well? We do. It's um, RacineCommunityFoundation.org. And um, I think that the most people who go to our website are potential grantees. Hmm. And we have all sorts of, all of our information on our grants processes there, as well as um, explanation of the different funds that one that a donor could start and all sorts of information about the community as well. Yeah, one of the nice things about our website is we have donation buttons for yes. all the various yeah. organizations. That's so if, key. That's key. Yeah. So if you want to give money to the Mahone Fund or whatever, you just click on their button and you're you're in the PayPal and you're ready to go. Okay. Well, let's make it easy. This is this is great. Well, I'm so glad that we could uh, have this conversation, uh, even if Robert Schneider forgot to bring anniversary cake. Yeah. It's still been a, a great conversation and uh, a really nice opportunity to celebrate the the uh, seventh and final day of, of National Community Foundation Week. And it's great to be able to remind people about the important work that is done, the good that is done in the community Uh, by such organizations. Liz Powell, President and CEO of the Racine Community Foundation. Robert Schneider, Executive Director of the Kenosha Community Foundation. I am really grateful to both of you for making time in your busy schedule to uh, talk with us uh, about uh, the work that you do with your respective foundations, and we wish you well in the years ahead. Well, thank Thank you, you, Greg.